0: D20 Radio, your
1: game is rolling. www.d20radio.com Execute Order 66
2: Coming at you live on Ustream and by podcast at d20radio.com This is the Order 66 Podcast, brought to you by MapsofMastery.com. Ah, what a beautiful July 6th afternoon this is, and you find yourself back for the Order 66 Podcast, episode number 141. And I would be GM Dave. This would be GM Chris.
3: What is up, Gamer Nation? And Dave, I hate to burst your bubble, pal, but uh, it's not exactly afternoon. Evening. Dusk. It's 7 o'clock. It's It's technically night.
2: Well, you know. Okay. I
3: I know the sun doesn't go down until like 9, but...
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's beautiful. The sun goes down so late these days.
3: Uh, when is when is daylight savings kick in? When is when does that happen? Oh,
2: not till like October. You're kidding! No, it's like after. It's like way after. Um, it's like even after Halloween now. So, That's- oh, it's great because now I get to play golf and tee off at five and finish
3: before the sun goes down. But why on earth would you want to tee off at five in 105 degree heat?
2: Cats in the chat room.
3: Cat is in the chat room. So, yes. Uh, yes yes we have we have a handful of people in echo base <clears throat> uh, considering we kind of changed the time of the podcast what a few hours before the show
2: yeah it was pretty good oh and by the way the reason i like to tee off at five is because my smash factor was measured at 1.56 i
3: have no idea what that means uh
2: yeah you'd have to be a golfer to know what that means
3: but dude i'm actually getting pretty good i haven't told you really yeah, like I was, I was at practice the other day, man. Um, and like you know, the little, the little, uh, like the where where the, where you gotta roll it through the windmill and then <laughs> pass the garden gnome. Yeah, like I hit that like two times out of three, dude. It's I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's greatness,
2: utter greatness. And with that, you know, I just I can't help myself but go
1: accessing.
0: Ah, good new acquisition. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is
3: KCKSIM, and this is your Hollow Newsnet update.
2: So, Jim Chris, I ask you, how many ask times? Me. How many times have we received requests from listeners looking for actual examples of live play at Saga Edition in podcast form? How many times?
3: A million
2: times. A million billion, right?
3: One million times.
2: I know, and such things, sadly, were once a rarity. But no longer. What? Ah, if you've not yet heard the Threat Detected podcast, and honestly, where have you been if you have not heard the Threat Detected podcast? Under a rock. Yes. Then you're missing out on Informative and Fun Time, where a solid gaming group records their Dawn of Defiance sessions, led by Garrett, of course. The... Inestimable barefoot tour guide.
3: Bum, bum, bum. Yeah.
2: So, any fan of Dawn of Defiance can obviously glean a lot from these casts, but they're just fun to listen to. Added sound effects and other cool features as well. He does last a good job. week, really does. Ah, yes. However, last week, the Barefoot one released a special edition episode devoted to the second module in the series, A Wretched Hive. So if you're an eager GM looking for good advice on making a good module even better, it's a must-listen. But honestly, any Saga fan needs to check it out. Word.
3: Word up. To your mother. To your mother. Uh, It's a very good show, seriously. If you guys haven't listened to it, give it a listen. And if you guys want to find more podcasts for your eardrum pleasure, sound waves that will stroke your eardrums with loving caress, head over to D20Radio.com, and you will find wonderful auditory delights to satisfy your every gaming need. And everyone shall rejoice. <laughs> and everyone rejoiced. And yes. there was much rejoicing. And speaking of rejoicing, it's Wednesday! Oh, juicy bits of web goodness! So Sterling Hershey wows us again last week. Uh, very cool, with his latest entry in the Star Wars Wednesdays blog. Um, now, he's he actually continued uh, the, the building discussion coming off of his guest appearance on our show, where he discussed uh, module creation with me. Um, now, Sterling added more depth after that show with a look at creating and building proper stat blocks. Now he rounds that out with an excellent delve into the non-heroic class in Star Wars Saga Edition. Uh, you know, non-heroics it can be a bit confusing for the novice. The rules are very different than from base classes, and you know, even, even seasoned GMs mess it up sometimes. So Sterling takes the time to clarify and explain the class in detail, giving it a much-needed primer for any GM. Check it out right now at www.sterlinghershey.com. Yeah. It's tight. Yep. Yeah. Tight, tight, tight. And
2: by the way, we are 28 days away and counting to Gen Con 2011, America's oh. largest gaming convention held in Indianapolis, Indiana, August 4th through the 7th, 2011. And of course, you must be there to witness things such as the Black Nova Gambit, which is your big, giant delve for like 150 people. Something like that. <laughs> Okay. More like 18, but More that's okay. Like, yeah, you know, I embellish things a little bit on the air. And this is Thursday night, right it's out of the 18. gate, from 6 to 10.30. And then, of course, join us in our brand new D20 shirts that I forgot to pick up again. Punk. Damn it. You told me two
3: days ago you were going to bring
2: them. Oh, they've been ready since, like, Wednesday of last week. Anyway. What? Yeah. What are you doing? I, I don't know. I'm stupid. I'm absolutely stupid. I'm it's 100% stupid. stupid. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we have these really cool D20 radio polo shirts that um, are right now for the GMs, but they'll be available for sale later, of course, if you want one. Uh, They're just a little expensive because they're, well, embroidered golf shirts. Yeah. But they're cool, and you'll see them uh, in force there. But, um, yeah, anyway, uh, Chris, myself, uh, guys from Chronicles, Bruce City Gamers, all six of us will be there, hosting, uh, creating a successful gaming podcast. Forum. Or, what, what do you call it? Seminar. Whatever. What do they call them in
3: Gen Con Ease? Seminar. Yeah,
2: seminar. All right. So, Friday, 10 a.m. to noon. Be there. I think there's still a couple of tickets out there remaining.
3: There are a couple, yes, but they have been flying away. Yep. And what? What? We have lots of pickup games on site as well. Dude, and there's yeah. Cyril's yeah. going to be running some. Star Wars, so will Vader's son um and although i know the slots are sold out uh dm vincent roll for initiative save or die fame is going to be running some officially registered D games um so check out the catalog because they are awesome if you want to get your old school on check it out you can observe yep and do talk to us about the gen con t-shirts ah
2: the gen con t-shirts we are only we are we are so close i can taste it i need six more shorts shirts to be ordered six more, sometime between now and Sunday. Sunday, Sunday! Because we'll be placing the order July the 11th, so that way we can get them done and shipped out to people who want them shipped and all that stuff before Gen Con. However, I have to have a minimum of 24 to order, and as of right now, I believe I have 17, 18. Do you have mine yet, including that? No. Okay. And, and I don't have mine either, so you know, that's 20.
3: Yeah, you're going to get three more from me. And
2: Yep. And the cool thing was, this dude, you know, obviously it lowered our price quite a bit, so I had to re-up, you know, and refund everybody's money and all that, that I ordered earlier. But unfortunately, this dude did not have onesies. Punk. Yeah, whereas the other chick was going to do the onesies for free for us. This guy couldn't come up with onesies. I don't know why.
3: See, we charge the game. we nice and less money. And what happens? My baby doesn't get a onesie. Yeah. <sighs> it's okay.
1: It's okay. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah it sucks. It's, okay. I'm, no, it's I'm, okay. I'm I'm, okay. If you guys want to take a look at the T-shirts, where can they go? Where can they go, Dave?
2: D20radio.com. And there's a link right on the front page to order T-shirts. It's the same as the support link to, uh, to sign up as a D20 Radio partner. There's a picture of the design. And a way you can order anywhere from medium to three X, I think, is where we go to. Medium to oh my god, it's moving toward us. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yep. Bubba. That's
2: what we call gamer extra
3: large. A gamer Extra Large. Yeah. That's... <laughs> I'm so excited, man. I can taste it. Yeah, me too. I'm counting down the days.
2: And so this brings us to this.
1: D20 Docking Bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it.
2: D20 Docking Bay, where we answer listener questions that come in via forum post. PM, lose a line. And what do I mean by lose a line? I mean 206 600 5872. That's what I'm talking about. 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney.
3: Yep. Oh, USA. Lusa. Lusa. Yep. So, dudes. I, I, um, I fear we missed an announcement. I did. We did.
2: What did we miss? Oh, my God, we did. Stop the show immediately and backtrack for this.
0: This is a Holonet News Update. I'm Luke Lowbrow. Yet another sex scandal involving a senator has rocked the imperial political establishment. A rising political star has been caught posting pictures of his anatomy to the Holonet via Twitter that most species would find suggestive, lewd, and offensive. The senator's name is Andy Hotdog, and he is a sentient space lug representing the Exogorth space lug consortia of the Hoth asteroid belt. The offensive pictures that were posted to Twitter consisted of the space lug's head and neck. In legal news, the Mos Espa Police Department on Tatooine has solved a larceny case that had gone cold for over 30 years. Stolen parts from Watto's junkyard were used to build a pod racer, which was piloted by a child named Anakin Skywalker to win the Boont Eve pod race and defraud Watto of his net worth. Local authorities also believe Lord Vader to be a person of interest in this case. Upon hearing this news, Watto immediately filed suit in Superior Court against the Dark Lord for damages with interest. However, within hours of the filing, Watto's dead carcass was shot out of the proton torpedo launcher of an Imperial Star Destroyer. His estate was then liquidated, and the proceeds were donated to the Tatooine Child Slavery Defense Fund. In entertainment news, the diva Sly Snoodles and the pop sensation Justin Bieber have just announced their engagement. In related news, on the Urban Dictionary website, photographs of Snoodles and Bieber have been added to the entry for the term Beard. Are you a member of a race with no natural hair, like a Duro, Nimodian, or a Hut? Do other races gifted with great hair make you feel insecure? Just look in the mirror and check out that gigantic hat you're wearing. I'm looking at you, Nimodians. Just what exactly are you trying to compensate for with those massive hats? You wish you could try hair plugs or other traditional hair growth options, but you're a reptilian, and you don't even have pores. Would you like a nice, dark, pompadour hairdo to cover your genius cranium and attract the ladies? Well, look no further. What you need is a Shirellian Toop. A Shirellian Toop is a domesticated creature from Nalhata who will sit on your head for hours, exfoliating your scalp while letting the ladies know that you've got it going on, brother. Your Shirelian Toop is waiting, so make that call. If you call in the next 30 minutes, we will get you the breed of Shirelian Toop that only defecates on your head once per day. Now doesn't that sound like a deal? This has been a Hollonet News Network update. I'm Luke Lowbrow. Writing shout-outs and props go out to Chris West, James Louders, Brev Tanner, and Atiel Erickson. Thank you, everybody, and keep those ideas coming.
3: Uh, yay. <laughs> How could you forget the Luca Lobra?
2: I don't know because I'm a stupid. So, yeah, we'll just let that run in the background. While we get back to our uh, secondary thing that we were supposed to do, which was D20 docking bay, you know?
3: Yes, yeah, docking bay, docking bay, docking bay. Yeah. Docking bay. Same here in the background. Yeah, that. Don't be we might consents of it. <laughs> so as dave said if you guys have questions for the docking bay you can of course call the loose line you can also email us gm chris at d20 radio.com gm dave at d20 radio.com you can also get to the forums at d20 radio.com slash forums become a member of the gamer nation and post your mind and while you're doing all that you can send us some liners man we had some lazy listeners since the last show who didn't send us any liners yeah sucks. that's all right just throwing it out there.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, that's what that being what it is and what it is. Um, we'll see this thing that is, you know, that is stuff. What are you talking about? I don't know, dude.
3: This is what happens when you split your attention between two things. I
2: know because the chat room's screwing up again.
3: Well, okay. That's when you stop talking and just let me take it. Yeah. All right. Have fun. Like a like a like a master thief, I take it. (laughs) (laughs) Ha. Well, of course, the docking bay is where we answer those questions that are submitted by you, and we have quite a few. So, Dave, if you are able, why don't you lay our first question on us?
2: All right. So here's the deal, boys. First question is kind of a gimme. Okay. From what I've heard, and it is uh, basically around a PM that came from Salcor, who simply asks us, so with the upcoming D20 Radio Fencing Seminar, how do I create a <laughs> successful gaming podcast? I was wondering if you could do a live podcast of it to share your knowledge and experience with those who cannot attend Well, we're certainly going to try, because we're going to be set up to do it. We are. Now, whether or not it's pulled off (laughs) is another matter entirely. Yes. At the very (laughs) least, we'll record it and put it up.
3: Whether or not it's a live podcast, (laughs) or just a podcast. Yeah. That's going to depend a lot on internet access now, isn't it? Yeah, it it certainly is.
2: So. So, yeah, you know. If it's one of those deals, then it's just one of those deals, you know. It is. Yeah. So we're gonna try and get one up. Uh, is is the is the uh, is the obvious answer. We will absolutely try our bestest. Bestest. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. So anyway, all, all right. right. So that being uh, that being uh, said, our next question is uh, the first honest question, I guess you could say, is a, is a good one, and it comes from uh, our academic. Saga Rulesmith, Elias Windrider. Awesome. Ah, uh, yes. So, to uh, to paraphrase, we are uh, going to say, a question from episode 140, D20 document made me wonder, the surprise strike talent versus the bad feeling feat. What happens? Both are from the Force Unleashed campaign guide. Surprise strike says that if you fail any deception check to convey deceptive information, you can initiate combat and make a single unarmed attack as a free action, or with a melee or ranged weapon if you have the draw feat. All other combatants are considered surprised even if they are aware of you. Bad feeling says that you can always take a move action during the surprise round, even if you are surprised. If you're not surprised, you can take this move action in addition to any other actions you're normally able to make in the surprise round. So I have three questions. First... About surprise strike, the opponents are surprised, so does that mean there's a surprise round? If so, do you get to make two attacks in the surprise round? One is your standard and one is a free action. Could you use the standard to draw a weapon
3: and then attack with a free action? Hmm. Well, um, let's back up. Surprise strike, it's pretty darn cool. Uh, now, this is a scoundrel talent. It's found on page 27 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide, and Elias, it works just like you say it does. Um, but I, I believe the wording and the intent of the talent ensures that there will not be a surprise round when you use it, all right? Let me explain. Surprise rounds, uh, page 150 of the core book is where they're detailed, only occur when some enemies aren't aware of their attacker. Now, that is not the case here. When you fail a deception check to convey deceptive information... You are actually talking to a target. He knows that you're there. (laughs) What this talent lets you do, in essence, is take a surprise round attack before combat begins, even though there's not going to be a surprise round because the target's aware of you. You're you're talking to them trying to lie lie to them for Pete's sake. That's kind of the point. So that's kind of the intent of this talent for me. So to answer your question, no, because there's not going to be a surprise round if you use surprise strike.
2: Yay. Yeah. Alright, so uh, question number two the bad feeling feat Normally if you're surprised then you're flat-footed until you act in the first regular round of combat but since you have a bad feeling you act during the surprise round Would you be flat-footed for any part of the surprise round or would you just be flat-footed until you act in the surprise round?
3: That's tough um, Now again, for those following along bad fu- bad feeling, it's a, it's a really fun feat page 32 of Force Unleashed uh, that works just like Elias says it does Now even if you're surprised in regards to the question. You you still get to make a move action in the surprise round. In essence, you're never not a part of the surprise round. That's kind of what it does for you. Now, to your specific question, page 149 of the Core Rulebook clarifies the flat-footed condition by noting that when any battle begins with a surprise round, you start the battle flat-footed and remain flat-footed until your first regular turn in initiative order. Now, to me that first regular turn can actually be in the surprise round. Okay, assuming you're involved in the surprise round. That's kind of my interpretation of it. So to sum up, if there's a surprise round, you're flat-footed until you act in initiative for the first time. If that happens to be during the surprise round itself, hey, you're flat-footed up until that point. If you have bad feeling and you beat out your foe in initiative to act first in that surprise round, you won't be caught flat-footed at all. Does that makes sense? Uh-huh. You know, some GMs might disagree with me on that, but I have a hard time believing that, that somebody who's actively involved in a surprise round will be flat-footed for the entire round, even though they're aware of what's going on and taking part in it. Don't care for that. Yep. So that's yep. my interpretation. That's why. Beautiful.
2: All right, so now the versus question. Okay. How do the two interact? Say character A has surprise strike, flubs a deception check, and wants to attack character B. Character B has bad feeling and surprise, but gets to act in the
3: surprise round. Anyway, what happens? Who's flat-footed? Is anybody flat-footed? Well, I mean, as, as should be made clear by now, if character A is able to use surprise strike, there's not going to be a surprise round. The two are aware of each other. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to use surprise strike. That can't happen. Um, character A will get a free shot off before initiative is rolled, though, and that's kind of what that does, and character B's bad feeling won't ever come into play because there won't be a surprise round. Beautiful. So there you go.
2: All right, so uh, next is an Empty Back the Tank, who lays it on us with an equipment question in relation to a feat. He writes us, uh, so, uh, so I was reading through Galaxy at War and dreaming up a tough scout type that wields a scatter gun from the same book and holds the Sport Hunter feet from the same. I had a little trouble believing what I read. The Sport Hunter feet says that using a slug thrower weapon rifle increases the damage type from D8 to D12. D12? Question mark, question mark, exclamation slammer. This can't <laughs> be right. <laughs> The scattergun does 3d8 at 30 squares, which would mean with this feat it would would do 3d12 at 30 squares. If this is correct, it seems a little overpowered to me. As a heavy weapon, the rotary blaster cannon only does 3d10. Have I misread the text for the sport hunter feat?
3: Good question. Um, Now for those following along, let's start with the scattergun. All right, now this is a really interesting weapon. It's found on page 40 of Galaxy at War. Basically, it's a shotgun, all right? It's a shotgun. It's in the Slugthrower class because it basically fires pellets, not energy. It's a licensed rifle class weapon that weighs 4 kilos, holds 10 shells. Unlike most slug throwers, though, which only deal 2 dice of damage, it deals 3 dice of damage, 3d8, when it is used at point-blank range. Any farther than that, it goes down to 2d8. Though it's not the best weapon in the game by far, the flavor of it is wonderful, and it's cheap and it's easy to get a hold of. Now, as to the sport, funner, sport hunter feet, Bacta, I'll quote Don in the Morning Fire from our forums and say that sadly, yes, you have misread the feet. Uh, Sport Hunter is found on page 25 of Galaxy at War, and it provides enhanced benefits with various slug thrower weapons. Now, one of those benefits deals with the slug thrower rifle and, as you say, bumps its damage from D8s to D12s. I see your confusion here, dude, but the feat benefit doesn't deal with slug thrower weapons in the rifle class like the scattergun it refers to the specific weapon called the slug thrower rifle which is on page 130 of the core rulebook when you're using that weapon specifically you deal d12 instead of d 8s this puts the slug thrower rifle basically on par damage with the blaster rifle's damage when you get down to it a little little bit less than the average because you got 3 dice you're rolling instead of 4 but that's that's pretty much it so yeah that's kind of where it is man Still a cool feat, especially if you like using scatter guns, but no, it doesn't make the. Uh, if you like using um, uh, slug throwers, but it does not make the, the scatter gun broke no.
2: Yeah. So, there you go. All right, cool. All right, so the last question is from Ilmian, ah. who's coming up with some crazy, crazy droid builds. Apparently, he asked this Okay, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that having a build with what I'm about to suggest is not optimal, but for the sake of having a ruling, I will be asking my question anyway. Mm -hmm. What if a fifth-degree droid noble melee duelist has the talent Master of Elegance Mm -hmm. and the heavy-duty actuator's talent? Can he apply Mm -hmm. the benefit of the latter to his dexterity bonus instead of strength, or does heavy-duty actuator's only apply when the strength
3: bonus applies? Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Um, <clears throat> as you say, uh, let's, let's, let's set aside the, the really bad idea that is a 5th degree droid, noble melee toolist, <laughs> and we'll look at the question. Now, for those following along, the Heavy Duty Actuator's Talent is found on page 27 of Scavenger's Guide to Droids, and it's a 5th degree droid talent, meaning that, that any 5th degree droid can take it in place of a class talent at any time. It allows you to double your strength bonus on melee and unarmed damage rolls. Nice, okay. Now, the Master of Elegance talent from the Melee Duelist prestige class, page 47 of KOTOR, allows you to add your dex bonus to damage rolls instead of strength when you're wielding a light weapon, okay? Now, remember, unarmed attacks, even from a big old loader droid, are light weapons. But the bottom line is that the two don't work together. Straight up, Ilmeon. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) Heavy-duty actuators, they let you apply double your strength damage. But with Master of Elegance, you are not applying your strength damage. You are applying your decks, So it, it, it simply doesn't apply. You know, it, it usually doesn't cross over like that unless specified. And in this case, although we have no exact dev ruling on this situation, we have a similar dev ruling to draw from, which we actually noted on a recent discussion of the Femme Fatale Ultimate build a few episodes ago. Um, there's there's a martial artist talent out there called Hammer Blow, which adds two times your strength bonus to attack when you're attacking with an unarmed strike. That's been clarified that it cannot work with Weapon Finesse, and Weapon Finesse, as most of us know, um, replaces your strength bonus with Dex. And even if this mechanical dev ruling is something you don't buy, dude, it just makes sense, okay? <laughs> Master of Elegance is it, it it it's 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 about elegance. <laughs> It's about using your finesse and your precision instead of brute force. That's the point of the talent. Heavy-duty actuators is about doing nothing but ramping up your brute force. It, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. Even if the devs came on this show today and said, yes, these two talents work together, as a GM, I would never allow it in my game. Because, you know, never let the rules get in the way of what makes sense. Good fun, you. yeah, absolutely. I say, Absolutely. So that's kind of where I sit on that. But a good question nonetheless, Ilmion. Thank you very much. And again, guys, if you have questions, send them to us. Call the loose line two zero six six hundred five eight seven two. Email us. Get to the forums. Post your mind. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 And that must mean that it's time for. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tattoo-In
1: this week for our big special sale. Tell them Jabba sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come
3: on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know? Uh...
2: <laughs> yes, indeed. I've missed that. Ah, yeah, me too, dude. So... Why don't you tell us how to shock our friends and own our enemies
3: while looking really cool? Ooh. Well, today, Dave, we are taking a look at a very unusual weapon that I have brought back from Tatooine. Wado told me that, you know, it works really great when you're hunting big game, but just as well against debt collectors. Um, and he, he, would, he would probably know. Um, I do trust him on that. Um, I'm speaking, of course, about the Electronet. Do uh-huh. you know what this thing is? Have you seen this thing? Negative. Okay. It hasn't been seen in the films, but Electronet has made numerous appearances in comics, books, and cartoons. All right. It's found on, found on page 50 of Scum and Villainy. Is hella expensive. 2,000 credits a pop. <coughs> but it is easy to obtain. It's merely restricted, and it weighs about five kilos. All right. What is the Electronet? All right, literally it's what it sounds like. It's treated as grenade ammunition literally. You have to load it and it has to be fired from a grenade launcher specifically, all right? Now that means the range is impressive, but it will require heavy weapon prof- proficiency to use without penalty. And literally, it's an electro net. It targets a two-by-two square area. You make an attack roll against each target in the area. If the target is hit, they're trapped in the net, and you're, like, either grabbed or grappled per the normal rules for the net, which is on page 130 of the Core Rulebook. What does that mean? It means that if you're grabbed and grappled by the net, it takes a DC 15 acrobatics check to get out or a DC 20 strength check to break out. But when you're hit with this thing and you're grabbed by it, each and each round you're stuck in it, the target takes 3 die 8 of stun damage. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's about the average damage you get from a stun grenade, basically. Except they take it every round. So, what? Bottom line, you can zap a foe unconscious pretty darn quick. That's awesome. Um, I don't know, man. What do you think? I mean, like, considering the expense...
2: Yeah, that's tough.
3: It's tough. It's hard to justify. But hey, I don't know. if you've got the wealth talent, dude. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> There'd be a reason for my noble to take heavy weapon proficiency right there. That's right. See? <laughs> bukonk, bukonk, bukonk. If you're the type
2: of noble that has a little bit of bounty hunter in you and you have rap songs written about you, then you absolutely have to do it.
3: Oh, so you're Jay Z. Something like that. Very nice. Very nice. And it's hard to deny, man. This is a pretty darn cool way to safely take out a target. Yeah. Four, actually. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. <We're>, yeah. <laughs> Assuming they're standing together. Many, many targets. Many targets. That's good. Many
3: targets. Many, very, many very, targets. Very, very. El cuapo. So that is the Electronet. It's pretty darn cool. In my mm-hmm. years of playing the system, I have yet to see anyone buy one of these or use one of them. Um, nice. Even those who have, like, grenade launchers and use them. So okay. that's unfortunate.
2: Yeah, we'll see. The,
3: the cost the cost is so prohibitive, but what a great thing for a GM. <laughs> yes. So I think it. I'm going to throw some of these into my next session. Uh, use it today. Use it today.
2: Love it. All right, we're going to stop now for a few minutes for Fragments from the Rim, and we will be with you guys on the other side.
1: My lords, welcome to Fragments from the Rim. What is thy bidding, my masters? Welcome to the 82nd Fragments from the Rim. Welcome back for the 83rd segment of Fragments from the Rim. I'm your host, Darth GM, and every now and then I like to dig through the books for feats and talents and see what nasty combos there are out there. It's been one of my favorite exercises as I've done Fragments over the past year. One of my favorite character concepts is a Jedi-Soldier combination that calls out to anyone interested in playing an Imperial Knight. It also calls out to my love of tanks and their ability to get into trouble and take what trouble they find. There's a soldier talent called Counterpunch. It's in the Scum and Villainy book on page 18. And what it does is when you fight defensively, any adjacent creature that attacks you provokes an attack of opportunity from you. I actually had a dechey mercenary with a power hammer absolutely wreck a Jedi in one of my games with this. He held the hallway and just walloped anyone who ran up to hit him. Until he was gunned down. Anyway... Counterpunch, allowing you to take some defensive action as a melee character and still have a fair chance to deal out some attacks as the opportunity arise. Just make sure you take the Combat Reflexes feat in case of multiple melee attackers. Now this is all well and good, but let's see if we can stack on some more fun to this talent. On page 52 of the Core Rulebook, we find the Soldier Talent Draw Fire. For a swift action and a persuasion check against the will defense of all opponents within line of sight, you can prevent anyone from attacking any ally within six squares of you. So move up, take a swift action to draw fire, and go on the defensive. Now, any melee attacker is going to have to go after you. And with counterpunch and combat reflexes, odds are you'll be able to attack back, frequently. Remember how I said that Jedi were part of this build? In the Legacy Era campaign guide is a guardian talent called Defensive Acuity, where you get to deal an extra die of damage with lightsaber attacks, and get a plus two circumstance bonus to use the force checks made to negate an attack with the block or deflect talents anytime you fight defensively. If you're going to be in melee anyway, pick up the block talent. Or if you've got draw fire, and you find yourself under attack from a lot of ranged attackers, pick up deflect, and you have a good chance of being able to weather the storm. Now let's ramp this up a little bit more. So let's switch to Force Powers and add the lightsaber form power, Cotentuous Opportunity, on page 29 of the Jedi Academy Training Manual. Then, anytime you make an opportunity attack with your lightsaber, use this power. You need to roll at least a 20 on a Use the Force check, but your attack will deal between 1 and 4 extra dice of damage depending on how well you roll. Now one big downside to all this fighting defensively is that it hits you with a minus 5 penalty to your attacks, That's sort of a big hit to swallow. One way to get around it is if you're able to dip into the melee duelist class in the Kotor campaign guide and take the advantageous opening talent. That gives you a plus five bonus to your attacks of opportunity in melee. Another thing to take into consideration is to make sure that you've taken the acrobatics skill at some point to turn that plus two defense bonus you get from fighting defensively into a plus five. With this combination of Soldier and Jedi abilities, this combo could turn any armored knight into a tanking machine. The most beneficial way to start is probably with Soldier for counterpunch, then Jedi to pick up defensive acuity. Back to Soldier for combat reflexes, and pick up force training at third level for contentious opportunity. Another level of Soldier at fourth would get you draw fire, and if your intelligence started out as an odd number, you could throw the attribute increase into intelligence, and pick up acrobatics as a trained skill. After that, it's back to Jedi for a couple levels to pick up skill focus, use the force, and block. And you're all set for Imperial Knight. Throw in some Imperial Knight talents from the Knight's Armor Talent Tree, and their ability to take damage and dish it back out get real interesting. It's a nice combo. Anyway, I think that'll do for this week. We'll see what shapes up or ships out for the next Fragments segment. Until then, Gamer Nation, 20 side up, 1 side down. You have been listening to Fragments
2: from the Rim and Transmission. I believe I'm gonna say the video killed the radio star because Ustream is sucking again. Sorry, chat. They're
3: all screaming in the chat room, suck it, Ustream! <laughs>
2: yeah, we need to find a better solution because this just sucks. I know. Anyway, you know what it's time for? <laughs>
3: Yes. You say we need to find a better solution. You know how rare it is for a podcast to be able to simulcast?
2: <laughs> there was a time when this did not exist. There was, yeah, and most podcasts do not do live shows, so, yeah. They like to edit. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. They edit all the time, and they, like, spent four hours editing their hour-and-a-half show. We don't uh, do that. Yeah, we're just that good, because... Yes, yes, yeah.
3: but it means the occasional faux pas folks-pouse. The, the folks-pouse, that's right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh,
3: Lord.
2: So, Oh, look at that. Amy. Oh, and the chat goes down. <laughs> as, if you, as if it knows. As if it knows, dude. That it is, knows we're talking
3: dirty about it. That
2: that's is absolutely all, hilarious.
3: It knows we're talking bad about it and, and, and it, it dies. Wow. Well, that's okay. We'll stop talking dirty about it. We'll start talking about other things. So... I'm trying to think of a summarization of today's meet, and um, I don't know. I was t- playing with a couple ideas, Dave, and I thought preparation is the key to awesome. How about that, man?
2: See, <laughs> and it's it's all because of Vash the Millipede.
3: Yeah, yeah in part because we. So we've been getting a lot of good listener requests lately, and to, to, to talk about this, you know. I got this last week. It really got my attention. This email from Vash from Vash the Millipede. <laughs>
2: yes vash the millipede says he wrote us an email and it says help me help me please i've never written into a show or anything like this before so i hope you can help me i don't know if he has an accent or not but we'll see I i used to role play in high school and college but really stepped away from the scene the last 15 years or so now i've got a son who's 13 and he and his friends love star wars of course they do yes I get the idea in my head that I'm going to introduce them to role-playing and use Star Wars to do it. I got the saga books and started listening to the podcast after finding it on iTunes. You guys have really helped, by the way. I don't think I could have done it without you. I know that sounds silly, but we've heard it before. <laughs> but I've game-mastered a few sessions for them, and it's been fun, but I'm starting to see a problem. I've listened to the list and the Game Holocron episode and used those religiously to build out my encounters and adventures. The story is exciting and fun. But when we actually play, it seems to fall a little flat. And I think the problem is me. There's just too much to keep track of. Maybe I'm just too old for the show. Or this now. I'm sorry, I misread that. Maybe I'm too old for this now. My games aren't smooth. What can I do to fix that, Docalax? Any advice in those
3: super gaming heads of yours? It's mm. mm.
2: quite a request. Mm. Now that request
3: was echoed very recently on our own forums by Warhammer Thirty Twenty Five, who really hit the nail on the head with his own issue. Ah, what did what did he write us, Dave? Ah, uh, yes, his
2: his letter said,
3: "My last session did not
2: go too well. It was relatively boring, with no memorable bits, save for a tricky combat encounter with turrets, shifting gravity, and rearranging cover." I've pinned the problem on how I prepared for the session. I got too hung up on the uniqueness of the combat encounter and didn't spend enough time making the rest of the adventure interesting. To help Mm. me prevent that from happening again, I'd like to solicit the Gamer Nation's processes for preparing adventures. What is your preparation process like?
3: So. These are good questions. And gentlemen, I believe that both of your quandaries are flip sides of the same answer of a coin. An answer that involves specific ways to plan and prepare yourself before a game. So many of our listeners, you know, they, they hear us tout the glory of the list, you know, your guide to making exciting encounters <laughs> yeah. uh, in episode 37. Um, or the game Holocron, you know, in order to plan your campaigns, which we covered right. in episode 47. But once that glorious and well-thought-out design actually happens, how do you execute it? Uh-huh. But can you do to run your games seamlessly in practice? What can you do to prepare and, and to make the time fly by? We're going to delve into this little talked about job of the Game Master tonight. So sit back, relax, grab your notebook as we pontificate, postulate, and produce pounds of plentifully productive points on preparation.
2: Ah, uh, yes. I, I caught the alliteration there. You like that? Did you like to see what I did there? You like that? That's right. Three peas in a fountain. Okay. Actually,
3: that was um <coughs> eight peas. I know it was. I know. <laughs> I'm sitting here, I'm like, I'm like one, two, three, four, five, six, eight peas. Eight peas. Eight All eight. right. <laughs> Go pee yourself. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I
2: think we got a show title right there. But I'm just. I'm Go gonna...
3: pee yourself. Yeah. I love it.
2: <laughs> Ah uh, yes. Yeah. So all right. So what? What
3: running running seamless and tight sessions, dude? So what? Yeah. This is this is a, this is thing we kind of we're talking about it. before before we begin this discussion. I think it's important to ask just why this is an important skill for a GM to develop. I mean, the answer may seem kind of obvious, but when we look at at who really benefits from this and when and why, we kind of see where our efforts must be focused. And and really, there's there's two main reasons. Or, or or benefits for for learning this skill, and Dave, for you, uh, I know first it's kind of a big deal.
2: Yes, that would be looking at my watch where I don't even have a watch. Time, very often an issue, dude. So, yeah, you'll talk to me. I mean, you know, i you know, okay. So running a clean game usually cuts down on the whole play time, uh, really significantly, right? So for a lot of us that have time as an issue, and um Irritable Spouse Syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't know where that came from, but that was funny. Uh, This is a really good thing.
3: True that. True that. Um, It plays out in a couple ways, though,
2: yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it does. So organized play session is number one, right? Sometimes you absolutely have the need for reduced play time, and it's as simple as the fact that you have a time limit, okay? Convention play, other organized sessions may leave you with just a few hours, and every minute counts.
3: It really does. Right? Yeah, it was driven home for me, man, just this past ReaperCon. I had had a couple sessions that went long, and it it threw the whole day off.
2: Yeah, you know, that's it. So here's to making it count. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course, there's family and job, dude. Yeah, that's kind of the one for me. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, a lot of us kind of have families, kids, jobs. As we get older, it's more difficult to find time to game, dude. yeah, You know... I fall in this category, dude. Y'all used to call me Captain Distraction because I had a kid. Well, guess what?
3: What I, I'm now in the exact same category, man. Ha, ha, ha. And dude, when I when I do get that kitchen pass, man, to go roll some dice, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. every precious hour. <laughs> and you guys,
2: you, before you and Brev had kids, you used to think I was the biggest ass by walking in and saying, "All right, let's get started."
3: <laughs> you and guys just didn't only- understand. I totally understand now. I totally do. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, it's like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say hi. Shake his hand. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. We guys haven't seen each other in four months. Yeah, yeah. Sh- shake his hand. Sit down. <laughs> Let's get this goddamn show on the road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only got four hours and five minutes left. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> it's sad, but it's true. So, so yeah. So, okay. Time. Obviously. That's one of the main benefits to learning this skill, to running a seamless, a tight session, tight game. For me, from, from a gamer's perspective, from a GM's perspective, man, I love the second thing, which is it, it helps you, in my opinion, develop a more cinematic game. Look, look, the reason everything we just talked about, that's good enough reason to be a solid GM who runs these efficient games. But, but I do believe that proper preparation also allows you the free time while you GM to focus on NPC characterizations, little things to enhance the story and provide it body and character, that stuff that you really have to do on the fly, you know? Moving the story along quickly adds that. And those little touches add so much to a cinematic game, provoking that memorable feeling and that adventure, those things that Warhammer said he was really missing. Yep. Um, I find it helps. The screen wipe. But yeah, but I mean, you know, but like... Uh, You know, finding time to think about how you're going to characterize an NPC, okay? Things of that nature. Um, And yeah, little things you can do to help you, we're going to talk about, okay? Remember, a game that runs along smoothly, okay, easily transitioning from scene to scene, a la Screen Wipe Dave, lends itself to that cinematic aspect that, that the saga system strives to cultivate. When you have to pause to draw a map, look up a rule or force power, or figure out initiative because you've lost it. You're breaking the suspension of disbelief that is so integral to your player's cinematic experience. It is integral. tis. So if you develop the skills to run a tight, seamless, efficient game with good preparation, you're going to increase the cinematic feeling and heighten that sense of adventure, I promise you. That's but right. we're going to come to that. That's
2: right. So just remember as a general rule that preparation prevents perspiration.
3: <laughs> this is very true, and so okay. Let's let's dive off the deep end then. Okay, we've we've we talked about these these obvious why's. Okay, uh, why you know game session preparation to lead to more efficient gaming is important, and what it, what it can do for you. Let's let's get down to the nitty gritty. Just just what can you do? to prepare and plan in your games to help you run things smoothly and prevent staid surroundings, boring NPCs, slow combats, and that, that lack of suspension of disbelief. I think there are two levels of preparatory actions as as, as kind of we see it. Um, the first deals with increasing the mechanical efficiency of your games. The next Deals with prepping the actual experience itself and giving yourself easy access to ways to make the role playing itself more immersive. But I'd like to talk about the first, the former of our two first, man. Um, I mean, Dave, it, you've got some experience in this. You're you're a pretty solid player. You're a guy who's crunched for time, man. I mean, yes. I, I think I think a good session should run kind of like I don't know, man, like a like oh, a finely tuned carburetor.
2: <laughs> a finely tuned carburetor or a well-oiled machine. Uh, this
3: is this is a good analogy.
2: Yes, indeed. So, all right. So
3: what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's
2: talk about the form of our two preparatory actions, right? Which is really going to be Vash. We're going to go yeah. back to Vash's issues. Yeah. Prepping to run a mechanically smooth game. So ideally, your scenes and combat encounters should be well-oiled machines, as we said before. Smoothly transition between... And easily entered. A, a player break should be something difficult to do, by golly, all right? Not something that fits perfectly into the time that it takes to set up your encounter.
3: Yeah, you shouldn't give them time to go to the bathroom. Right, exactly. <laughs> Not if you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So,
2: all right, let's talk about the throwdown factor.
3: Oh, um, dude, um, I'm, I'm a fan of the throwdown factor. This is very important. Yes. So a good, uh, uh, you know.
2: <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, oh, man. I never clear my throat on the air, but I just did. Bummer. All right. So a good GM who's properly prepared should be able to go from a bare gaming table to, um, like zero to sixty, like immediately. All right. So we're talking bare gaming table, talking with player characters, boom into an encounter. Yeah. All right. Hustle. Okay. Pre drawn, pre made maps. This is this is probably and arguably one of the biggest impediments to a smooth encounter transition when you're drawing out your maps and all that. So, you know, when a GM and... Um, I know, uh, I know. It, it, you know, our our group pauses and, and we all go get drinks and stuff when you're drawing I'm a map. I'm
3: terrible at this. I take the time and I, I, like for my home games, I I always stop and draw out the map. It yeah. just slows, but it slows everything but It's down. all
2: right. You know, we, we kind of, whatever. You know, if it, it, it does. But draw your maps ahead of time, and, and you could maybe even use the any award-winning gaming paper, you know, theoretically, you know, if you want to check them out.
3: Gamingpaper.com.
2: Yes. Uh, but, you know, Jeez. even if you use a gaming mat and markers for your battles, you know, draw the first encounter ahead of
3: time. If you can, it'll help. Now I that that I've done once or twice and that does help. I speak from yeah. experience on that. Absolutely, but dude, that gaming paper stuff—it's so inexpensive. It's like four bucks a roll. Yeah, um, cat I, uses that man. You just draw your maps out ahead of time, pull them out when you need to. I done. got
2: one better. What? That would what? be
3: mapsofmastery.com,
2: dot com, the sponsor ah! of this show. Indeed. That's the no work involved. <laughs> yes, that is pre-made maps, dude. very fine products out there. Of course, we will endorse maps of mastery.com. Chris West, who will be at Gen Con. Go check it out. He uses these all
3: the time. Dude, I you know, I just we talk about time as a factor. I mean, all the convention games I ran at ReaperCon recently, um, uh, like the brand new module I created, every single encounter used Chris West maps. Why? Because I didn't have to make them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and know, I got them. I laminated them. Uh, they last, they're last. they going to last forever now, and I can ride on them with markers yep. and, 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 and wipe it off.
2: Those and, of you that um, were not D20 radio partners but listen, to the show and are wondering what the partners got, West will have one of those maps available for sale at Gen Con.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well the tiles actually.
2: The yeah, the tiles that you can put together. Now he will have one variant. The the partners get three variants of these tiles. So you'll get one. But yeah. you can uh, you can always you can purchase them. And they have D twenty radio on them and everything, so it's kinda cool. But there will be a couple of pieces that are never
3: available that will always be D twenty radio. Oh so Yeah. Hey. Ah, uh-huh. So, dude, this is a good suggestion, though. If you, want, if you want to maximize that throwdown factor, you know, of just being able to go, bam, you're in the counter. Ah, you, you, pre-drawn, pre-made maps. It's just, boom, it's there, it's out. Yes. What else? Dude, and this is something
2: you do very well, is have a whole buttload. In fact, I'd say a metric ass ton of pre-separated minis. Yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of GMs just flat fail to consider this, they do. and they 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 don't ever notice the look of their board players, and you know, they they look for all these minis, and you got guys that just have their chins on their
3: hands just sitting there. What the hell are you doing, man? Dude, I, I've seen this dude. I mean, I I have been to this table where a GM is like, "All right, it's encounter time," and he he take he literally stops play, draws the map, and then pulls out a box filled with like 150 minis and digs through it for six minutes. Yep, to take the minis he wants. Yep.
2: So you know, I mean, seriously, have have the little tokens or miniatures or
3: whatever, just have them right there where you need them. You know? Oh, I that's, mean, oh, that's a good story. Like the the second time I ever played Saga ever in my life. Um, when I was actually a player, uh, th- that was that situation. The-, the dude the dude dug through his box, okay? We-, we were fighting stormtroopers. He dug through his box. He could only find, like, seven stormtroopers, and he needed ten. So literally, he put seven out there, and he went into his pocket and dug out three pennies. <laughs> See? Look at that. <laughs> and he stuck them out there on the... He's like, okay, the pennies are stormtroopers. And then we had other threats. It was like... I, I forget what it was. I think it was, like sto- like, maybe droids or something. And he only had like one mini for that, and so then he pulled out nickels. <laughs> He's like, "Okay, the nickels are the droids." And the... <laughs> Dude, you can do <laughs> it, man! You can use your dice. You can use lots of stuff. You can. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was so jackass that it was so on the fly, and if he'd just done a little bit of prep, he could have at least been prepared. Yeah. For that, you know what I mean? Yep.
2: So before the session, guys, pull out the exact minis you'll need. Separate them out. Put them in little baggies, whatever it is, one for each encounter. However you want to do it. Do it, you know, man So, you know Any any encounter specific stuff that you might need Ships, whatever, you know, props Pull that out as well
3: Put it in the baggies
2: Have a baggie for each encounter That's right, man And so, uh, yeah Dude. And it's not just limited to maps and miniatures, you know Okay Music um, Anything else, you know If you got a soundtrack, load it up on your laptop Make sure it's ready to go if you've got yeah. food, make sure that's taken care of before the game. You know? Any ambiance, any, any anything that you can think of, make sure it's ready
3: before the game. True that. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. All right, now the second part, I guess, of the making that well-oiled machine, you know, we talk about the throwdown factor, and I can't stress that enough. This, I think, is just as important. Uh, my granddaddy used to say in his southern Texas drawl, boy, you don't go hunting during deer deer, – what did he say? You don't go hunting during supper. <laughs> and basically, don't go hunting during a meal. Um, when a combat encounter or a skill challenge is actually occurring, a good GM comes to that dinner table with food in hand, hot and steaming, ready to dish out. He doesn't leave the table to go hunting, as my grandfather would put it. Uh, or start cooking a dish midway through the meal. In other words, he needs to be prepared with all the information he needs at his fingertips, and he needs a way to track it seamlessly. So what are you talking about? Well, first and foremost, the bane of most every D20 system out there, initiative tracking. Uh, I think we do it pretty well, but the gaming industry has produced a, a a pretty shocking number of methods to track initiative from, you know, the original book methods, a good old pen and paper to gridded graph paper charts to some cool toys. (laughs) Um, what, what you need to do is is you need a way to easily record your initiative. that will also be flexible, easily modifiable as people ready actions and, and delay and do stuff like that. Um, and, and usable in combat easily, quickly. um, yeah, there's some stuff, man. There's, Dave, have you seen the, the board trackers? Like, there's that, the infamous initiative tracker that Paizo makes. It's part of that game mastery line. Yeah. The dry erase thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like some magnetic bo- dry erase board. Got little cool graphics on it. You know, these little dry erase slats that you can write down the threats' names on, the player's name on, you can slide them around in initiative order. And there's a little ticker that shows whose turn it is and stuff. Um, I, this is a great solution. I like it because each and every player can see where the initiative is. In other words, who's coming up. You know what I mean? Um, I've seen ghetto rigged versions of that, you know, where players go to Office Depot and buy some cheap dry erase boards from you know, and, and then mark out a grid on it, you know, permanent marker it, you know, and stuff like that. Get some magnets, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's totally doable. Um, my personal favorite and the way I've learned after years of gaming to do this is, um, initiative cards. This is my favorite. I'm yeah. a huge fan of initiative cards.
2: Yeah. Put them in order. Boom, boom, boom.
3: Boom, 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 boom. Literally, index cards, people, with the characters and threats, names on them. They can be organized easily and just cycled through. Flip, 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 flip. Flip ahead, hey, you're next. Flip ahead, hey, you're after him. Um, also, and we'll, we'll kind of come to this. This is a really handy place to put info. Ah, just saying. You know, but you can record you know, hit point damage, condition track movement, all that stuff. You can, you can record it right on the initiative card. And you, you know, you, you're, it's, it's stuck with that player. It's going to stay with them. You're, you're set. So, yeah. Initiative tracking. Ah, what else? Very, very, very what important. else? What else? Well, this is where the, the the whole don't go hunting thing really comes into play. Bottom line: research, research, research. I I hear my I hear my college professors coming back to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like working on my thesis: the research, research, research. Um. Bottom line. You should never have to go hunting in the middle of combat for a common rule or an ability one of your threats has. Okay, look, Grant, look, there, there are things that can come up in combat that you didn't account for. But you should go in knowing what abilities your threats have, and you should damn well sure know what abilities your players have. Have those weird abilities that you're not sure what they do or you don't know off the top of your head written down. Have them indexed. Mark pages if you have to, okay? Use stickies. Um, you know, look up rule subsystems that are likely to be used in the encounter. You know what, if there's water in the encounter and they're going to be going in it, make sure you've brushed yourself up on holding breath and exactly how that works. Don't be looking it up in the middle of combat. Um, you know, write yourself a reminder if you need to or or bookmark the rules. Yep. Um, there's other options. Dave, you you've you've used um I, I think you use the force power cards. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah they're they're awesome, dude.
3: I mean, those are brilliant. Um, They're a little hard to find now that Watsi's website is closed. However, I would love to point you to the D20Radio.com forums, where in the Star Wars Saga Edition general uh, discussion board, we have a sticky thread devoted to the articles and other free stuff that got purged from Watsi's site that various fans and listeners have amassed and are hosting on their own domains. In that area, you can find these cards. Okay? Use them. Yep. Um, you know, print them out, cut them, paperclip the appropriate ones to the stat block of your four sensitive threats. Okay. It just, it's easier. You don't got to go looking this stuff up. It's right there. Yep. I personally expand the stat blocks for my threats. I don't just put in the normal stat block on my, on my initiative card. I put in descriptions of all the talents and feats that I don't know by heart. I put them directly into the stat block. And again, I put it all in an initiative card. I've got it all right there. I just reference it. It's there. It's right there. I don't need to go hunting or looking or going to a book or another sheet. You know, it's, it's, it's all right there. Again, it's quick. It's preparative. It's, it's wonderful. The bottom line here, as a GM, it's important not to rush your players. You don't want to come off like a GM ass hat. You got to give them the time they need to each round to make good decisions for their characters. But when you set the stage for a fast-paced scene through your own actions by being efficient and fast-paced in your GMing, you will often find your players following suit. And that's where you're really going to promote that efficiency in the session through these type of preparatory actions for your players. Yep. So So basically what, Vash? That, that 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 is for you sir that that yep. is a way some, some some ideas some suggestions to mechanically run your game to get to where you can help keep track of things a little easier all right dude an ounce of preparation worth a pound of cure absolutely
2: so thank you very much vash now we're going to turn our attention to warhammer's issues okay which we really call more uh, directing the film it's kind of our latter part of our preparatory recommendations and You know, we're at least going to try to address uh, Warhammer's issues. And, (laughs) you know, a lot of times, you you know better than anybody, the GM works hard, prepares well, runs savvy, interesting encounters, but the uh, adventure itself falls flat. It happens. So how does the GM know when this happens? Usually the players tell them directly or indirectly, or you get a gut feeling that it's not going so well. But being a GM... All right, it's like being a director of a film. You are in control of this. It's especially appropriate because that's how we encourage players and GMs to think about their games in Star Wars in a cinematic type fashion. True that, right? But you know, a director has a big job. You know, and not only are you going to prepare and you're going to plan, but you have to use preparations reactively.
3: That's a really big deal.
2: Yeah. So I don't know, dude. You know, we've we've already given some good advice. There's there's lots of things that. you can do to combat this, and, and keep your players excited and strengthen their suspension of disbelief. And so, go back and take a look at episode one thirty, which is putting the RP in RPG. It was a long episode, but it was worth it. We highly recommend it for a listen. Episode forty seven, tipsy tricks and holocron hijinks, is another one dealing with building a quality adventure and story. It's an amazing listen if you've got hangups in in uh, in that area. But you know, sometimes the GM can do all these things and still have problems. So, we're we're not going to go back and rehash 47 or 130. Just give them a listen because they're standalone and they're like the gold standard in terms of our podcasts. Totally. Yeah. We believe that there are some preparatory things you can do to spice up the adventuring and story portion of your of your play, you know, rolling with the unexpected punches your group may throw and giving more life to your games and you know, give it a richer experience.
3: Yeah. I like this. And that's the point. Listen, if if I mean like to to Warhammer's deal. If you need to build up an exciting adventure, go listen to those shows. <laughs> yeah, those. Go go listen to those. But I, I I'm I'm liking where Dave's going, and, and Dave's right, man. T- talk to me about like about really the the one big thing that that you can do reactively with some preparation at the table as a as a director of this oh, story.
2: Well, dude, Def- as a director. Build that rich experience you were All talking right. to us about. Guess what? You've got characters in your story. Uh-huh. Give them character. <laughs> okay. I mean, that may sound like really, really mundane, but, uh, you know, when you're outside of combat, well, some of the most memorable things that will stick with your players are the NPCs that they encounter, assuming they're done right. You know, when you plan properly, I still remember guys we run into in a bar, before we Cat. get into a fight or anything like that, you give your NPCs character, personality, and informs the story. It, the player's perspective is set, but you can also do this on the fly. By okay, you know, there's lots of tools you can you can uh,
3: you know you can use. Right, well, so 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 talk to me about this. I mean, so, say say I want to do this like like on the fly. What do, what do I have to prep? What do I got to do?
2: Well, um, I you know I mean it's not hard. Just. Beg, borrow and steal, boy. <laughs> okay, fair okay, enough. So the best concepts for non-player characters have already been written and performed. So use them. <laughs> okay. All right. So you know, take the time to make yourself a long list of film or literary characters that you know real well. Not necessarily Star Wars, but you know, I mean, take a, take a look at X Men and pull Wolverine out of there, right? All right. My one of my favorite movies, Tron. Take Kevin Flynn out of there, Shepard. Mm. You know. Rooster Shepherd Cogburn, Book. Shepherd Book. Yeah. Whatever. Sure. Just just think of 20 or 30 distinct characters and when it comes time to create an NPC, choose one of those personalities for them. You don't need to list uh big common things that they're going to say, you know, or or whatever, you know, and and I you know, if if you I don't know, take some time to um to, to to make notes by you know close to an npc's name and then you're going to know immediately how they're going to act think feel and boom you got
3: it well started. this is this is good advice it's like when, when you when, when you say someone like like kevin Flynn, okay it's like i it, you don't have to say anything else like all of his mannerisms his speech patterns his attitudes i know exactly what that is in my head yeah i don't need anything else right if i write <sighs> king lear next to a Uh, an NPC's name, I I know exactly who that character is now and how I should perform him. Yep. Interesting. Yep. So you're saying that you can do this on the fly to provide body to NPCs? Sure you can, you know? Give life, give
2: remembrance to nearly any NPC like that, you know, with hardly any effort at all, you know? Hmm. Assign a D20, roll every name if you want to. You know, if you're forced to throw a random NPC into the session, roll up a personality him just like that. Love it. You know?
3: Love it. Yeah. Okay.
2: So, I mean, you know, mix it up, man. I mean, mix it up. Just same as same as with your, you know, you've got pre-gen type characters, right, that you're, you know, going to beg, borrow, and steal from. Also have a little tank of traits and species that you're going to pull out of, right? So... If you need anything, I mean, little quirky physical characteristics, scars, tattoos, different species. You want a Nemoidian? You want a? I mean, really? You want to use a Gungan? Fine, you know. (laughs) You know, use the same methodology that we just talked about before to grab a unique and memorable look for an NPC. Word. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I guess what I'm saying is that your your players aren't going to remember tovin Stolworth, grand duelist of the queen they're gonna remember that crazy rodian with the missing eye in the musketeer complex <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay mm. so i mean you know this is true this is true no, nobody remembers names always remember that guy we fought it was like that wolverine dude yeah yeah him
2: <laughs> yeah exactly and that's a great memory for them to have
3: so. That's a good point, man. That that's what will ramp up that memory in your game when you provide those memorable hooks for your players. Yep. Dude, I just want to like like take that concept and just run with it, you know? Go. Yeah. You can use I it mean, for anything. God. You could use it for what? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. You need to go somewhere, roll up some cities. I mean I could I could jot down Dallas, Rome. Paris, San London, Francisco. I mean, San yeah. Francisco, and I—I I, I get an immediate feel and a culture for a city immediately.
2: That's right. Bangkok. Yeah,
3: yeah, totally. That's what I'm talking about. And it seems it—it it seems like this like this is a a pretty easy prep ahead of time, but it makes you seem like a prepared and fully planned GM. Big time. Makes you look like a stud at the table. Roll with the punches. Bam! I love it. I am I the greatest. It. I am the greatest. Because, I mean, you know, like, players like you and Rev love taking me off the rails. On purpose, I might have. <laughs> so things like this would let you roll with that completely. And if you are forced to meet a new NPC, you can give them character on the fly. You can force to go to a new planet. You can develop it on the fly. You know, man, that's fantastic. I'm loving it. These are these are good suggestions. These are very good suggestions. Yep. So I hope that helps. Nice. A little bit of a short meet, but we you know, obviously some important questions we wanted to talk about. Some things to think about. Vash, I hope your gaming experiences improve. Kudos to him, by the way, for taking the plunge and wanting to run some RPG saga sessions for his kid, man. That's awesome. That's that's brilliant, dude. You're like my hero and and anything we can do for you, man, you let us know. hope some of this advice worked for you. 11,
2: um, 12 years from now, when baby Jaina is 12 or 13 and William is 14, we'll think back on this moment and say,
3: wow. <laughs> and say, wow. It's going to be good stuff. It's going to be very good stuff. Yep. But Warhammer Give episode uh, uh, 47 a listen, man. Give 130 a listen, and then take some of the advice we've given you here. You're going to be able to bring some excitement to those adventures. I hope some other GMs will listen and do the same. Guys, we've enjoyed these last few shows. Really, it's been nothing but listener-driven content the entire way, um, really, for quite some time. Um, and I, I'm, I'm loving I'm loving it, man. Keep, keep telling us what you want us to do. Keep them coming. Keep it coming, man. Call us and ask us. Tell us. Two zero six six hundred five eight seven two Lusa. L U S A. Email us where Dave.
2: GM Dave at d twenty radio dot com. GM Chris at d twenty radio dot com. There's Twitter. I'm GM Dave.
3: I'm GM Chris. You and of course the forums.
2: Of course d twenty radio dot com slash forums. PM, forum post. Speak your mind. Join the Gamer Nation. Become a partner. I mean anything, dudes and dude's We've got a new set of map tiles coming out from. Christopher West. For those of you who want to uh, re up, or <gasps> That's you know, next month, isn't it? It is, dude. So yeah, it it it's meant to coincide with Gen Cons. So yeah, it's it's funny how that works. But uh,
3: I love. It. Can you believe we've been doing this for a year?
2: I know, man. I know. It's it's uh, a- it's it's absolutely amazing. And by the way, Friday, yeah, Friday. Any awards nominees are announced Friday morning. So you guys fingers crossed. check it out. Yeah, keep your fingers crossed. A lot of good podcasts this year. Hopefully we make the cut. If not, we'll still do a successful gaming podcast thing because we won an any once, you know, back then. <laughs> they the can day. never take our any away. They cannot <laughs> take it away from <laughs> us. That's right. And for those of you right at the end of the tail end of the show here, you guys keep your ears peeled because we've got a new show getting ready to debut on the network, and it's called Geek Fatal. It is Kalilia's Girl Gamer Podcast.
3: Oh, I can't wait. Ah, yes. It's going to be epic. Epic, I say.
2: Epic! Yep. So, this will be GM Dave saying
3: uh, peace, love, and good gaming. And GM Chris saying, keep those dice rolling.
0: D20 Radio, where gamers roll